0: All right, let's start in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray thee, our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you want to move closer? You were in the second. Yeah, if you don't mind. <clears throat> Thanks. You can, yeah, you can. There's <clears throat> any questions on last time? So last, yeah, last time we covered controversial things. Um we did sexual ethics last time. So now's your chance to ask anything. But it, it's not your only chance. You can ask me any time. You, you lose a lot of people after that time. People can't deal with it. Um, I suppose it has happened uh, one time in the past, I know about, but uh, uh, <laughs> but I don't know about it right now. <laughs> And um, so nobody, if nobody has any questions, we'll start in with the, the second part. So we're switching. So we, we started with the first part of the catechism on the creed. And then we went to the Christian life and the Ten Commandments. And so now we're going to start with the, is the second part of the catechism on the sacraments and the liturgy. Liturgy is the public prayer of the church. Right? So we've basically gone from the Christian life to Christian worship and the sacraments, and so I put this last, um, after the Christian life, so that would be closer to um, you receiving the sacraments. All right, so we, what I'm gonna do today is an overview of the sacraments, and then next time we'll do baptism and confirmation, um, and, then, um, and then the Eucharist, and penance, so we'll go through the seven sacraments. All right, but what we wanna do today is why are there sacraments, what are sacraments, and why are they important? I, that's the, and so part of the, the need for this is the, um the sacraments of the church, like baptism, washing, it looks like the rituals of other religions. And in fact, Judaism has something um, identical, um, a Jewish baptism, but it means something different. And Christian baptism does something different. Right? And what we'll see is the sacraments are unique because they're not mere rituals they're, um yes they have symbolism like all other religious symbols but these symbols are unique they're symbols with the power to do what they represent what do I mean by that and the reason for that is because Christ is acting through them right? I'm getting ahead of myself but um so just maybe a simplest example baptism right so it says there's a symbol you're washed with water right but um, and yes, other religions have a, w- a symbolic washing with water, especially Judaism. Um, but what happens in Christian baptism is your soul gets washed. And so that, a mere man can't invent a religious symbol that has, um, in which God's power is at work. Right? God has to invent a symbol in which his power is at work. Right? So that's kind of the, Overarching theme. All right, so what are sacraments? So here's a, a definition. I mean, there's no one definition, but there are four parts to this. So what are sacraments? And um, they're instituted by Christ, right? So Pope Fran- the Pope um, can't, you know, write a document tomorrow saying, um, I'm instituting the eighth sacrament, I don't know, uh, whatever that would be. Um, He can't do it because he's not God made man. So these seven sacraments have a special power because Christ instituted them during his earthly life. All right, So that's why instituted by Christ. So they're religious signs, but they're instituted by God made man. He entrusted them to the church, right? And that's why we come to the church, even in a class like this, RCA, we come to the church to receive the sacraments, but they're in, she doesn't own them. They're entrusted to her, but they belong to Jesus, her Lord, all right? And they're entrusted to her, and here's the key part. They're signs of grace, all right? They're signs, so take baptism again. It's the sign of a washing, and so it's a sign of a grace of forgiveness of sins, but the key part in this whole definition Efficacious. There's signs, so what does that mean, efficacious? It means that they do what they represent. There's one exception, unless I put an obstacle. And what might that obstacle be? Let's take baptism. Um, it gives forgiveness of sins unless I put the obstacle of not being repentant. God, the sacraments aren't magic. In other words, they don't work independently of the heart they work through the heart and if i put a block in my heart to god's action it's not going to be efficacious in forgiving my sin if i don't want my sin to be forgiven but usually people go to baptism because they want their sins to be forgiven all right so efficacious i didn't put it's not a definition but efficacious unless i pose an obstacle all right by my own hardness of heart a baby can't pose any obstacle right so in a baby baptism is always efficacious all right efficacious signs of grace perceptible to the senses we could have started there so that would be like what's what's most obvious about the sacraments they're signs perceptible to the senses washing of water and in all the sacraments there are words i was yesterday i was at a wedding It's right, so wedding is one of the seven sacraments and the the sign there is the vows exchanged by the spouses, right? To be faithful, to take one another as their husband and wife and to be faithful until death. And so that, those words are the sign perceptible, in this case, to our ears, to hearing, right? But they're signs of grace. And in the case of matrimony, it would be the grace of God helping the spouses to stay together and to do their vows for the whole of their life. So that would be the grace there. And we think that it's efficacious. In other words, it's not simply God saying to the couple, I don't know, good luck, but aiding them day in, day out to accomplish that. And the same thing is true of baptism confirmation. We receive it one time. Maybe some of you received it as babies. Others will be receiving the Easter vigil, right? It happens in a very, you know, in a few seconds. You get water poured on you, and you hear some words from the minister, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what we're saying is that a sign of a grace that will be at work through the whole of your life. Right? And that's why it's, we're saying it's efficacious, not just for one, I don't know, 10 seconds or one evening, but for a whole life. right, so four parts to this definition. What are they? Sacred signs. That means signs are perceptible to the senses, but efficacious to do what they signify. And how do they get that power? Because they were instituted by Jesus, who has that power, because he's God as well as man. And where do we find these sacraments? the church, and this is why we need the church, right? I can't go to, sorry, no offense to anybody coming from, let's say a Methodist church, I can't go to the Methodist church to find the seven sacraments, because they don't have them. They have baptism, yes, but they don't have the others. Right, I can't go to the Lutheran church to find the seven sacraments. I can't go to the Mormons to find the seven sacraments. Right, they're entrusted to the Catholic church. The Orthodox also have all seven sacraments, right? But nevertheless, they're still, they're entrusted to the church. Question on that definition of sacrament? All right, so what are they, sacred signs? Efficacious, signs with, pa- the best, what does this efficacious mean? Think of it in the gospel, and um, Mark opens his gospel with a leper coming to Jesus, right? And the leper says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus say? I will be clean. And what happens? The leper is cleansed. By what? The power of Jesus' words. Be clean. Right? And so, Jesus in the Gospels spoke with words of power. That was our our Gospel last week, right? And um, last Sunday. And the people were amazed because Jesus spoke with power in a way that... Nobody else could do. In other words, the rabbis couldn't do. Um, And so what we're saying is in the seven sacraments, Jesus is also acting with power just as he did in cleansing the leper. But here's a difference. You can see when a leper gets cleansed, right? The leper was very aware of being cleansed and his family was aware of it. But when Jesus says other words, like he said to, so there was a paralytic who was lowered through the roof um, in the Gospels, and um, Jesus said first to the paralytic, he didn't say, you know, be, walk. He, first thing he said was, your sins are forgiven you, my child. And then he said, as a sign to show that I have the power, that the son of man, that was the way he spoke about himself, that I have the power to, to cure, to forgive sins, get up and walk. So the physical miracle was a sign that Jesus had a power to do a change that the eye can't see, right? Nobody could see that that paralytic's sins were forgiven. But they could see that he could get up and walk. And so that's, the, his getting up and walking was a sign that Jesus' word can do invisible um, miracles that are more important. More important because um, that my sins are forgiven is necessary for eternal life. Whereas to be able to get up and walk is necessary for this life, which will have an end. All right? So the sacraments, the sacraments come from Christ, and they come in a particular way from um, his death, his passion, death, and resurrection. In other words, in, so it, I'm getting a little, maybe this might be a difficult point, but yeah. this, in, w- the way to think about it is with the sacraments, it's like that leper coming to Jesus, right? So the leper comes to Jesus and Jesus touches the leper. All right, that in itself, right? In ancient Israel, you didn't touch lepers, right? Because you'd get leprosy, right? And so Jesus in the gospels touches people who come to him, lepers, paralytics, blind people. And that touch is a, communicates his life, right? The sacraments do the same, but they communicate his invisible life, his risen life. And in some way, they even communicate his death. And and we'll talk more about this next week when we look at baptism. But St. Paul, when he wants to explain baptism to the Christians in Rome, basically the way he goes about it is, all right, you've been baptized? You died. What? Because that's what baptism is entering into the mystery of Jesus' death death, and resurrection. And we tend to miss this because we, when we see a baptism, usually you just see some water being poured on somebody's head. But the original way of baptizing was actually by immersion. That means you, got, you were in a baptismal pool, maybe up to your waist, and you got dunked uh, into that pool like, like a tomb. And you come out of it, and the idea is you come out of it changed like Jesus um, died and rose. And so in baptism, there's a death. And that is a death to the sins of my past life. And there's a rising to a new life that ought to be different, right? That is um, the life of grace. All right, it's invisible. Very often, um, we can't directly, we can, I mean, in some way, we can see when somebody goes through a conversion, And leads a new life, they live, they better, we're supposed to live differently, right? And baptism is bringing that out. So that's why St. Paul says that baptism involves a death of the old man and a new birth in Christ. And so baptism, in some ways, being touched by Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay? Yeah, so St. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death so that as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this is the, this is the danger. People tend to look at... And this came up when we looked at the church, right? People tend to look at the church as just another, you know, religious institution and the rights of the church is just religious rights. But Saint Paul doesn't think that's the case, right? He thinks that baptism means a death and a rebirth. Yeah. So um, with that being said, there, there were baptisms happening before Jesus died and resurrected. So what did the baptism mean Ah, yeah. So great. So they were and um, Jesus Jesus started baptizing. That's that's just a microphone so that people who are doing it online can hear. Um, Yes, Jesus. um, So I'll I'll talk a little bit about that next week. Jesus um, was baptized at the beginning of his public ministry three years before his death. And his disciples started baptizing immediately. But they were baptizing with the power of an event still to come three years later, his death. I know that Jesus' death on Calvary and his resurrection are the power behind all the sacraments. And that power could be applied beforehand for the three years of Jesus' public ministry, and now afterwards for the last 2,000 years. In other words, Jesus' death and resurrection, it's like a fountain for eternal life. And that fountain, the waters of it, could reach beforehand and now are reaching way afterwards and it's inexhaustible, right? It'll never, it's a fountain that will never run out. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, excellent. Okay, so I think we already said this. So the, what's the link between the sacraments and the church? The, it's not, so here's the wrong answer. Um, the church invents the sacraments or made up the sacraments or the church is the author of the sacraments, no. We said, Jesus is the one who instituted the sacraments, but he's entrusted them to her. So she's, the the church wouldn't exist if there weren't sacraments. What do I mean by that? Um, Who would be the members of the church if there was no baptism, right? Because it's, we become a member of the church when we get baptized. Um, Without holy orders, there would be no ministers of the sacraments, right? There would be no priests and bishops, and there would be no governance in the church. So the church um, is formed from the sacraments. But nevertheless, they're entrusted to her. And the way to think of it is the church is a bride, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. And um, in a marriage, all right, maybe this doesn't work exactly, but it's it's like a dowry. Um, But this is a dowry coming from the bridegroom that he's giving to her to be her inheritance and her riches um, through the centuries All right so they're entrusted to her like her I don't know um, a power entrusted to her and a mission entrusted to her and they build up the church right that's why um, that's why we're doing this class is to um, to help you to receive the sacraments baptism if you haven't yet received it and um, confirmation okay So they're for her, because they build her up. But they're, in some sense, from her, because they're entrusted to her. But they're not really from her in the full sense, they're from Jesus. Okay, sacraments do two things. Mm. All right, let me see if I can explain this. Um, We said just now that Sacraments are signs, right? They're visible signs. So take baptism. You pour water on someone's head and you say these simple words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The technical term, that's a sacramental sign. Sacrament is a word that means um, religious sign, basically. So this is what's visible or portable. This is what's perceptible to the senses. But then we said they are in instituted to give grace. Right? So this is invisible. All right. But there's, it's a little tiny. Let me see, let me start with that. Does that make sense so far? In other words, so the sacraments have a mysterious aspect because they're not just sensible and visible. They're sensible signs that give invisible grace. And that is something that has to be received by faith. Anybody can see the water and hear the words. But to get the effect, I need to believe. And to know that there's effect, I need to believe. No test and no physicist is going to be able to see the difference in the baptized baby From the unbaptized baby right it's not something you can't bring the baptized baby to a doctor and the doctor can say oh yeah baby's been baptized right from the heart you know beat or something like that in other words no physical change happens but we believe an invisible change happens that's gigantic a new life divine life all right so that requires faith so far so good this point here is there's actually, it's a little more, it's even more complicated than that. That, I don't it's not that much more complicated, but there's a third level in the, in, right here, and we'll call this character. So when somebody's baptized, whether it's a baby or an adult, two effects happen, both of them invisible, right? The, the main one that we're interested in is grace is given. But there's another effect that we call character or um, seal. And it comes, to the, the word character um, comes from the ancient idea of a seal. So it used to be that if, um, let's say you were the king you know, of uh, ancient Babylon. Um, when you write a decree, you would write it and there would be a seal imprinted, the seal of the king, to show that that was um, a decree of the king. Um, and that would be a character. In other words, something imprinted. Or maybe a, another example that might be fit even better is in the ancient Roman legion, if you were a legionary in Caesar's legions, you got a brand on your arm. And it, it wasn't you know something like a number in a concentration camp, but it was a sign of honor. It was your legion. And it was an image, I guess, of Caesar or of the. Um, and so um, that brand was a kind of seal on the flesh to show that you're a legionnaire under Caesar. And it would also mean, if you deserted, right, that it would be a sign that you're a traitor. Because it's calling you, it's giving, so a brand like that gives an identity, right? I'm a legionnaire under Caesar, and it gives a mission to fight for Caesar. And um, yeah, so it would give those two things. Um, The seal of a king actually has a third thing. So it would be, the seal of a king would be identity, kind of mission to set out, let's say a law or decree and a power from the king to enforce it. All right, when we get baptized, we get imprinted, branded as it were, invisibly, with the image of the king of kings, Jesus. In other words, Jesus gets stamped onto our soul at the moment of baptism And it can't actually be erased because it's a spiritual imprint. And it's glorious if you love Jesus, right? What could be better than to have Jesus imprinted on my soul and in such a way that I can't even wash it off? I've been claimed to be his by him. And he's given me, I'll explain this later, a share in his mission. And for this reason, baptism can't be received a second time or a third time or a fourth time because the first time I received it, I'm imprinted for life. There's no need to receive it again because it's given a permanent mark on my soul. All right, again, you have to believe this. I can't demonstrate it, right? I can't show you that I've been sealed. Right? I can't go to a doctor, and he says, oh, yeah, sure, there's, you've got baptismal character. I can see it right here. There, in Judaism, though, there was something, does anybody know, so what's the analogous thing in Judaism? How did you become a member of the, the Jewish people? That's right, circumcision. So every Jewish um, boy is circumcised um, on the eighth day, right? unless you know, there's grave illness or, or some obstacle. Um, so I actually was circumcised. Um, even though my dad was an atheist. Um, and so circumcision does two things. It, um, you enter into the covenant and the people of God, in this case, the people of Israel, and you get marked on your skin, right? And your, your foreskin being cut away with actually a permanent mark, right? So I still bear the mark on my body from being circumcised as a baby. So that's the analogy. But the difference is circumcision leaves a physical mark That's indelible. And baptism leaves a spiritual invisible mark that's even more indelible. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, in Israel, so great. So it's not as if women didn't enter the covenant, but um, they didn't have a special sign. And so women would enter the covenant the same time, a week old, and they would receive a name. So that was true for both boys and girls. So boys and girls would receive their name on the eighth day and thus enter into the covenant. But boys had an indelible mark, circumcision, and girls didn't receive an indelible mark. And why that is, I don't know. Other than that, it was, anyway, that, we'll leave that to God. But in the church, baptism is irrespective of being male. So St. Paul says a beautiful thing. It says, baptism. Um, it doesn't, in other words, in Christ, those who are baptized in Christ, male or female, Jew or Greek, um, barbarian, rich or poor, free or slave, um, are nothing compared to the dignity of being baptized. Right? So baptism is for all equally with no distinction of male, female, Jew or Gentile. Right? So circumcision was, you could say, I mean, it, it, this would be the wrong way to think about it. But somebody might think doubly discriminatory. Right? Discriminatory against women because it's only for boys and discriminatory against Gentiles because it's only for Jews. Whereas baptism is instituted precisely to be universal. right? But nevertheless, one has to um, seek it. right? One has to want it. Um, or one's parents want it for one's child. All right? So um, baptism imprints a character, and that's why it's only received once. The same thing is true of confirmation and holy orders. So this is why you can only get confirmed once. Because when you're confirmed, whenever that is, so in the Eastern Rite, it's at, together with baptism, right? And so it might be, you know, an eight-day-old child gets baptized and confirmed. They're confirmed for life, and they never can get confirmed again because they're already marked. Um, and the same thing is true for a priest who receives, um, um, receives the priesthood. He's sealed with priestly character for life. If he does some grave crime against canon law, he might be the punishment might be that he's laicized, meaning he's reduced to the lay status, meaning he can't serve as a priest anymore. But he's still a priest forever in the sense that this seal was imprinted and can't be washed off. So, we're saying there are seven sacraments, three of them can only be received once because they imprint a seal that marks us for life. So, um, bringing it back to the fleshly Mm announcement of the legionnaire, you said when he gets stamped with his legion, he could also be marked as a traitor if he has. Right, yeah, if he leaves and starts fighting for the enemy. Mm-hmm. Christ, and God forbid I uh-huh. go astray and leave some other life, does that qualify me for the punishments? Yeah, in, in, in this sense that, I mean, we're qualified for the punishments even if I don't get baptized. In other words, that um, we're all going to be judged at the moment of death according to love, right? In other words, loving God, the double commandment. So, everyone will be judged at death by the double commandment. If I've been marked in some sense it's graver if i die without love right if i die hating god and neighbor right that's worse but um, but in effect though um, it's not as if i'm only liable to um but my punishment should be greater because yeah, i better that's right that's right you can, and it's the general principle jesus says that to whom more is given More is expected, but that's not a reason, that would be a very bad reason not to get baptized, right? (laughs) Because that would be the fearful approach of the, right? So there's the parable of the talents. So Jesus gives, you know, to one ten, to another five, to another one. And what does the person who received one do? Buries it because he's afraid of losing it. And so fear ought not to be what guides our, yes. And so it is true that receiving baptism means that we're given a mission. So this is the right way to think about it is this. In baptism, we're given a, a glory. Christ's identity is stamped on us. So I'm not the same Larry. After, so I was baptized at 29, right, after this course, RCA. And well, actually, I was baptized in the Anglican Church with my wife. But um, um, the Larry that I was before, yes, I'm still a human being, I'm the same individual. But we've been changed such that our identity is now changed Still Larry, but it's Larry in Christ. And that means that I have a mission that's not simply Larry's mission, but it's Christ's mission. And that means that if I don't do that mission, I'm in some way more responsible because I'm, it's a glory to have, everyone wants a mission in life, right? The tragedy of so many, especially young people, is that they don't know what their mission is. Right? And we're often not challenged enough. And the missions that people put are too little to us. And so there's nothing greater in human life than having a mission. And Jesus gives a mission that's big. What is the mission? It's to build up his church with him. That's the mission we're given in baptism and especially confirmation. Right, And so, yes, I, getting a mission means that I'm responsible for tr- trying to carry out that mission. So that's why it's a solemn thing, right? In, in other words, getting baptized and confirmed isn't just something, oh, yeah, maybe I'll, uh, I'll just go ahead and do that. And that's why we got this class. That's why it takes a little while and you don't immediately admit somebody, right? But you, do you really want this, right? Because yeah, you're, you're committing yourself. It's a, it's a new allegiance. So in, the, in baptism, part of the ritual is you reject Satan and his works, and that should mean something, right? And you. Pledge allegiance to Christ, and you say the creed, right? And you commit yourself to a life of faith, yeah, and to a mission which is Christ's mission and not just my mission. But again, how beautiful that now, from now on, my mission is Christ's mission, yeah. and they go together. And so a, a huge problem, and I mean, this is the difficulty in living Christian faith in a secular society we tend to be oblivious to this whole dimension, right? We tend to think baptism is just something you do, right? If you're a Christian, is what you do. Confirmation is something you do, and um, it's no big deal. Yeah. But yeah, we're saying it's a big deal, okay? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, it's a solemn thing, but it's, here's the, the, the flip side of it is if We're given a stamp, so the legionnaire, that stamp on his arm marked him out as a traitor, but did that brand actually help him at all? It's just, right, it's just a brand on the skin. It it doesn't have any power at all, right, the brand. But character, the character we get in baptism is a character with power, the power to give grace if I don't put an obstacle. So it's totally different in that regard. It's a mission that carries with it a power, a spiritual power that um, is supernatural and therefore greater than, you know, having a high IQ or having musical talent or any other natural gift that you want to put there. Larry? Yeah? We did have a question uh, off the live stream. Uh, What happens if you're unsure whether or not you've been baptized? And so if, yeah, you want to do due diligence, right? And so that's why we ask you to, and get your baptismal record. But sometimes it can happen that there's really, real uncertainty about whether I was baptized or not, in which case we do a conditional, right? The, the priest will do a conditional baptism. And that's just simply, if you haven't been baptized, I baptize you. If you have already been baptized, nothing is happening here, all right? So yeah, conditional baptism um, can be given, right? And um, generally, that might, again, talk with Father Povis about that, if that applies to you. And sometimes um, that can happen, say, the week before the um, Easter vigil, depending on the case. That's true, by the way, of all the, the sacraments. So sacraments can be given absolutely or conditionally, right, if, if, if you're capable of receiving. Suppose somebody um, is um, in a car accident and you don't know if they're dead or alive. Can they be baptized? Yes, conditionally, right? If you're alive, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Um so maybe that answer of my question. Um so when I grew I was told that sacraments have an order. Have an order? Yeah. Um but lately I have been seeing people that get married before getting that information for that. Question. Oh, okay. Um why and how. Okay. Yeah, so no, there is an order. Absolutely there's an order. And what's the first Baptism, So the order is baptism first. It's the foundation. And you can't receive other sacraments without that one. So that's the gateway to all the other sacraments. But yes, people can, so my wife and I were married before we were baptized. So we were married um, in a non-religious ceremony in Marshall's backyard. And um, so it was a valid marriage, but it wasn't a sacrament marriage. Then we got right then we got baptized and at the moment we were baptized we got the foundation that marriage became sacramental marriage in our case so that's we didn't, have to get married again. we didn't have to get married again we were already married but it wasn't a sacrament it became a sacrament the moment we were baptized and that's because baptism is the first sacrament and you can't receive another one before that yeah but i'm seeing people getting married at the church at the catholic church without being baptized that that can happen if the hmm? oh yeah with so with confirmation so the there is an order and the the logical order is the three sacraments of initiation baptism confirmation and eucharist in that order but it doesn't always have to be in that order so very many children in the United States the order is, is mixed because and um, they get um, receive first communion before they get confirmed whereas in the eastern tradition always you get confirmed before baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. And that's how it is in the RCA, right? So those of you who haven't received any sacraments yet, you'll receive baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist in that order all on, in the same evening, right? And that's, yes, the ordinary way, the ordinary order, but there can be exceptions, okay? Okay, all right, so this seal or character applies just to three sacraments, right? And so that's baptism, confirmation, and Holy orders. Marriage is similar. Um, So in marriage too, there's a, at the moment of marriage, there's a sacramental marital bond that likewise lasts. But it's different that, and baptism lasts for all eternity, whereas marriage lasts until death of one of the spouses. But, But otherwise it's similar, all right? relationship between the sacraments and faith, right? So we basically already said that the sacraments presuppose faith, but their purpose is to nourish faith. So it's different in the case of a baby. The baby can't yet make the, the act of faith, right? And so in the case of a baby, it's the faith of the parents who bring the baby and the faith of the whole church. But um, whenever someone who gets the age of reason seeks baptism, like in RCA, you've got to believe. So the, um, if, if you're in RCA class and you don't believe, then you should wait right, and not receive the sacrament until you have faith. Right? So it presupposes faith. But it could be you say, all right, I believe, but my faith is weak. Great. That's why we have sacraments, is to nourish faith and to strengthen it. Right? So baptism presupposes faith but its whole purpose is to give faith. All right, does that make sense? So I do not need to have perfect faith, first of all, because um, no one has perfect faith in the sense that it can always grow more. All right, so the sacraments nourish faith, strengthen it, and express it. And um, there's a unity between the worship of the church and the faith of the church. In other words, we worship in accordance with what we believe and vice versa. All right, why are they efficacious? I think we've already said this. The sacraments are efficacious because they're not based on my work or the minister, Father Povis's work. But if if I thought that baptism got its power from, I don't know, the priest, Father Povis, I'd always be worrying How do I know he's a holy man? And if baptism got its power from my faith, I might always be worried, do I have faith? Is my faith strong enough? Fortunately, the power of baptism doesn't come either from me, the recipient, or from the minister, Father Povis or Father Briar, whoever you wanna pick, but from Jesus. So that's, that's what we mean when we say that the sacraments are efficacious, from themselves, not from themselves in the sense, not from water, but from Jesus, who's using that water. So here's what we should think: in every sacrament, even though there's a minister who's a human being, right? Father, let's say Father Povis. Um, Easter Vigil, it'll be the Archbishop, Archbishop Rosansky, celebrating. Um, we should think that yes, Archbishop Rosansky is celebrating, but he's celebrating by lending his lips to Jesus, and it's Jesus acting here and now in all of the rites, baptizing us, confirming us, and um, making the Eucharist present and feeding us with his body and blood. So Jesus is the principal one acting in the sacraments. And again, I can't see it, right? I see Father Povis or or Archbishop Rosansky, but I have to believe that, right? And so they're efficacious. So there's this Latin phrase, don't worry about it, but you might hear it sometimes. Um, uh, ex opere operato, which simply means from the work done. And what work? Jesus' work. When? On Calvary. That's the work done. Jesus dying for us. And from the power of his death and resurrection, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, um, penance or confession, holy orders, matrimony, get their power. Okay? And that's why... Um, it's better, obviously, if the minister is a saint, but if the minister is not a saint, but a crook, it's still Christ working in us, okay? But, so the efficacy doesn't come from the minister, it doesn't come from me, but we said I can block it. And so I have something to do with it, meaning the subject, the recipient, right? So all of us, and we can't give ourselves grace right, because that's above us, right? I can't p- pull down something from heaven by myself, but I can put a wall up blocking it from coming in. The way to think about this is Jesus' parable of the sower. I do, hopefully you know the parable, right? So Jesus, it's like his first parable and most obvious. It's a sower goes out to sow. The sower sows the seed. Some of it falls where? On a path, and it doesn't, right? The, On the road, basically, right? So imagine, so maybe this is a bit unrealistic. Usually farmers don't put their seed on the asphalt road, but in this particular problem, some falls on the road, some falls on rocky soil, some falls on thorns, and some falls on good soil, right? And that which falls on good soil grows up and gives, you know, 30 fold, 100 fold, but that which falls on the road doesn't, nothing happens. That which falls on rocky soil, something happens at first, but then it stops because there's not enough roots. And then similarly with the thorn, something happens, but then it stops. This is a parable about sacramental grace, Not, and, and also about the word of God that we hear and the word of God that comes to us through the sacraments. It has these, In this particular parable, right? The seed, was it different in the four cases? It's the same. What about the sower, is he different? Same sower, Jesus, same seed, his word, right? But the soil matters, and the soil is the heart of the person receiving it, right? So if I'm that road, nothing's going to happen. In other words, it's possible for us to put an obstacle to the effect of the sacrament. And and it's possible. So in the case of the road, nothing happens, right? I don't really want it. But in the case of the rocky soil and the thorns, I do want it, but I don't persevere. Right? And so the sacraments don't guarantee that we're gonna persevere. We have to want to continue to persevere. All right, Does it, questions on that? So it makes it, here's the key thing. On the Easter Vigil, you'll see um, probably I don't know, 500 people going down the communion line to receive Jesus. And you'll see, I don't know, 10, 10 of us or 15 getting baptized and maybe 20 um, getting confirmed. And all are receiving the same baptism, the same confirmation, and the same Eucharist. Right? But everyone's gonna have a different grace. No two people will get the same grace. Why is that? Because we've got different soils. Right? And what makes a soil better is that there's more desire. Not that I'm to be the better soil doesn't mean I'm perfect because nobody is. It means that I have more desire. In other words, more repentance, more desire, more wanting Jesus to be united with me, that will make it, right? And the great par- Another parable about this is Jesus speaks about two people praying in the synagogue. One is a Pharisee who's doing good, right? He's the one, he says, you know, Lord, I am fast twice a week. I um, pay all my tithes. I do extra things. And, and he didn't actually ask for anything from God where then there was another person, a publican, that's a tax collector, who um, was very much looked down upon. It would be like, you know, he could have used, you know, a criminal or a prostitute or something like that. And the, the tax collector is saying, Lord, you know, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he doesn't even dare to look up. All right, Jesus asks, which one went out justified? Right, the tax collector, the publican, and not the Pharisee. So that's how it is with the sacraments. It's not that my perfect life is meaning I'm getting more grace. It's my desire for God and my humility that opens me up to getting more grace. Questions on that? So this is really important for practice. In other words, this is why you it's good to and prepare for going to Mass. I want to, and that pre- preparation is of my heart. Just thinking that I'm needy and need to be, want to be filled. Okay, are the sacraments necessary for salvation and and why and so the answer here is um, yes they're necessary for salvation in the as the ordinary way they're the ordinary way that God gives us his grace but he's not restricted to this ordinary way so they're necessary yes but they're not absolutely necessary such that people who live let's say in in parts of the world, China today perhaps, where they've never heard about Jesus Christ and don't have any access to the sacraments, it's not as if we're saying they necessarily go to hell. God can work outside the sacraments, but the ordinary way he wants to work is through them. And the, I didn't explain that, but maybe let's, let me do that right now. Why, why would he make the sacraments the ordinary way to give us his grace? Why couldn't we he just say, "Just pray for grace," and that's enough. Anybody want to in during COVID year, we kind of all were we couldn't come to church, right? churches were closed, and so um, we um, made a little god corner in our basement um, with a little altar and uh, crucifix, and the idea would be, I could pray for grace there, and yes, absolutely I can, and that's a good thing. but why? Does he want us to come to church and be baptized? Come to church and be confirmed? To come to church and receive the Eucharist in a visible way with sensible signs? Okay, fantastic. Because if it were just going to my God corner, it would just be purely individual. And he wants to save us as a community. Thank you, fantastic. All right, does that make sense to everyone? He wants us to receive his grace Together, and not just simply dispersed. So that's a huge reason. There's, there's more than one reason. Anybody else? If I were just receiving it by prayer, would it be something visible or invisible? Right? It would be purely invisible. But we've got bodies, right? and we've got senses. And so it's also fitting to human nature that we receive it socially, but also that we receive grace through sensible signs that we can see and hear because that's the kind of um, creature we are. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus wants to save us according in a way fitting to our nature. And our nature is we, um, we learn about spiritual things from our senses, from hearing above all. And that um, on the human level, we get nourished by eating. And so he wants to nourish our souls by eating something, his body and blood. He wants to cleanse our souls by washing with water. He wants to strengthen our souls and give it the Holy Spirit by putting olive oil on our foreheads. That's what happens at confirmation, right? And so He wants to make use of signs, that's why it's the ordinary way, because we've got senses and we learn through our senses. And the sacraments in some way are like Jesus. So Jesus, when he walked in Galilee and Jerusalem, he looked just like anybody else, right? And the church's signs look like other religions' signs. But Jesus wasn't just anybody else, right? He had a visible dimension and a divine, invisible dimension. The sacraments are similar. They look very humble: water in a few words, and um, some little pieces of bread and wine, at least apparently, what appear to be bread and wine, and um, simple words in the confessional. "I, um, your sins are forgiven." In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I absolve you from your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and yet, we believe that something. Um, Invisible supernatural happens, right? So the sacraments are like Jesus in being both visible and invisible, right? And that's fitting for human beings. And also there's a certainty. There's a certainty of hearing the words, all right, maybe the baby doesn't remember, but the parents do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? It's an event. And it's fitting that these spiritual gifts be given to us in an event that can be witnessed. Um, again, by the whole community. Questions on that? Yes, yeah, St. Paul says in the letter of the Romans faith comes from what is heard, right? And that's from the word of God preached, but also from the sacramental word, right? That we hear. I baptize you, right? Be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, I absolve you from your sins. This is my body. All right, so they're necessary in, as the ordinary way. Yeah. That means the best way and a way that Jesus commanded, right? Jesus, before he left this, his last words that are recorded are the missionary mandate, where he said, go out into the whole world, making disciples of, of every person, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So Jesus commanded us to baptize. So in that sense, it's necessary. It's necessary because the most fitting way he gives us, it's necessary as the ordinary way. But if somebody wasn't able to encounter baptism, they can still be saved. Right? And that's because God's power isn't limited by the sacraments. Questions on that? All right, what is sacrament? So I put it up here on the board, sacramental grace. And we talked about grace a month ago or two months ago. Um, But basically, um, anybody remember a definition of sanctifying grace? What is sanctifying grace? Sharing God's life. That's what we mean. And again, I can say that, but what that... What does that mean? So sanctifying grace means sharing or participating in God's own life and nature. And that means, above all, his ability to love, right? Because God is love. Now somebody might think, um, well, what do I need baptism for? I can love by my own human power. Well, um, I think human experience shows us that we actually can't do so well on that score, right? That That there's a love higher that comes from above. That we need to receive. That's the first effect of grace. Right. So grace is sharing God's life. He is love, and He gives us a power to love above mere human power. And a power to believe. Right. To believe in the gospel. To believe in, say, the sacraments. To believe in um, that Jesus is God as well as man. That too we say, is something that I can't simply do by myself. And likewise, to hope in salvation in a way that really trusts God, to hope for heaven through God's own power, that too is something that I can't simply do by myself. right? And so God's grace manifests itself above all in faith, hope, and charity, or faith, hope, and love. All right? And um, so what is sacramental grace? It's simply grace, the grace of the Holy Spirit and to love God above all things, to love our neighbors ourselves, and to love even someone who's hurt me, right? To love our enemies. um, And that's given by all the sacraments. So all the sacraments give a common effect, which is grace. So you might say, all right, if all the seven sacraments give grace Why do we need seven sacraments? Wouldn't one sacrament, let's say baptism, be enough and we're done? Some of you here are baptized. Baptism gave grace. That grace is still active today. Why do I need any other sacraments? And so the answer is, we actually have different needs in our spiritual life like in our natural life. And so there are different sacraments to give us different graces for the different needs that we have in our spiritual life. What am I talking about? I wonder if I've got a slide here. No, i put it later. So I'm going to ask another question. We'll go back to, um, but, um, so, why are there seven sacraments and not just one sacrament? And so, Thomas Aquinas, greatest theologian in the church, gives a really simple, beautiful answer to this question. And he makes an analogy with our natural life. In our natural life, do we have just one need or many needs? And clearly, many needs, right? What would be the first and most basic need for our natural life? And that is birth, right? Even Or really, conception. Conception and then birth. Right. In other words, if we're not conceived by our parents, And not born, um, no other, um, right? Nothing else is going to help me. And so that's, in our natural life, our first need is to be conceived and born. All right, in our supernatural life, in our spiritual life, is there something like that? Yes. What sacrament is it? Baptism. It's the sacrament by which we get born into the church and into Christ's life. All right? And so it's like being born. And it gives a grace precisely to be born and to be a member of the church. Okay? All right, what else do we is necessary in our natural life? Well, you don't want the baby to stay a baby always, right? You want the baby to grow up. And so we need growth in our, spirit, in our natural life. So it makes sense there's going to be a sacrament corresponding to growth, to maturity. Anybody know what that is? Confirmation. confirmation. That's confirmation. So you can see how important confirmation is. It's the sacrament by which we are given a principle of spiritual growth to maturity. What spirit, so spiritual maturity is different than physical maturity, right? Physical maturity is you get to be 20, something like that, right? You're an adult. But what's spiritual maturity? What would be a synonym to be mature? in Christ. What's the goal of the Christian life? We did this at the very beginning. What's that? Holiness. Holiness. That's exactly right. So holiness is the goal of the Christian life. And therefore, spiritual maturity means to grow to be holy. And so confirmation, so this shows you how important confirmation is. It's a sacrament that's ordered To bringing you to holiness in the Christian life, but a holiness proper for you, which is going to look different than for any other person. Right? Each of us holiness is going to look different because it's holiness in our place of life, in our circumstances, in our circle of friends and family and work. Right? And it's not going to be the same. Just like in a in a beautiful garden, right? Every flower is going to be different, um, but all beautiful. All right. And so confirmation for um, growth to maturity. And that can't happen without the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to holiness. And so that's why confirmation is we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us to holiness. Ah, It's not as if baptism isn't. Baptism is also doing that. But still, baptism is the sacrament of birth and confirmation of growth to, to holiness. You don't have to be holy to receive it. It's the other way around, right? You receive it so as to be moved to grow to holiness. All right, what else do we need in our natural life? Nobody will grow if they don't get eat. <laughs> and so, so nourishment in our natural life is hugely important, right? Yeah, I'm not good at fasting. In our spiritual life, should it be any less important to get nourished with grace? And so what sacrament has Jesus given us? The Eucharist, right? The Eucharist, and so to be fed and nourished, how beautiful that he hasn't given us some kind of, I don't know, super protein food or something, something merely physical, but he's given us what? Himself, right? This is where the realism of the Eucharist, what do we receive? Those words that Jesus said at that the, the Last Supper and the priest says in Mass, this is my body. Why is that important? Because he wants to feed us, not with some other food, but with himself, with his own life and blood and soul and divinity. so, So you can see from this, of all the sacraments, the Eucharist is the most glorious, right? Because no other sacrament is him. The other sacraments help us to become like him, but the Eucharist feeds us with himself, all right? And notice another thing. How often do we get born? Right, obviously, one time. How often do we get baptized? One time for the same reason. How often do we have a process of growth to maturity? Yeah, I suppose there, but basically once, right? There's one process of growth to maturity, one confirmation. How often do we have to eat? I like to eat three times a day. And, all right, in our spiritual life, frequent communion is really good. The church only requires us to receive communion once a year. But again, who would eat once a year? Better, why? And in fact, infinitely better because the manna, the manna was a beautiful talk, we'll come back to that when we look at the years. but let me do it really quickly. The manna was physical food. In other words, the Israelites gathered the manna and it nourished their bodies. So it, um, it didn't nourish their souls directly, but their bodies, because that's what they needed, right? They were in the desert. Um, but what was miraculous is that it wasn't the fruit of their work, right? But it came from above, it's word like dew. So it's a beautiful type or figure of the Eucharist. But with this infinite difference, that manna fed the body and the Eucharist feeds the soul. Great. Okay. Um, That would be enough, those three, if um, we didn't get sick. But in our physical life, we also get sick sometimes. And so we need healing. And so likewise, in our spiritual life, we need healing. All right, what sacrament are we talking about? penance cuz in our spiritual life the sickness is sin and the remedy is confession All right so confession corresponds to you know going to the doctor and him giving you medicine something like that um, in our phys- so those are the, be the foremost important but nevertheless in our physical life we also prepare for it, it has an end right and we get um, we get ill um, more seriously, um, and we prepare for death. So it's fitting that there be a sacrament that we receive in some kind of preparation for death. All right, we hope that when people receive the sacrament, they recover. But nevertheless, it's a sacrament that strengthens us when we get sick in such a way that there's a danger of death. And it helps to prepare us for death, and it helps to sanctify suffering. So the fifth need in their natural life would be preparation for death. and the sacrament that corresponds is anointing of the sick. And so that's a sacrament that I've never received that um, you can only receive if you're seriously ill, right? But any serious illness, one could receive it, right? So it's by serious, some danger of death. Is that only, uh, able to once or no, or fantastic. Once, times? yeah, you can be sick multiple times, right? Because, um, and so in any um, illness, And if the illness is the same, you only receive it once, like baptism, for that illness. So that illness now is consecrated. I don't need to receive it multiple times in that illness. But if I recover and get ill again, then yes, certainly I'm I'm able to receive it again. But even in the same illness, if the illness gets much graver, such that it's really, in effect, another illness because it's graver now, then I can receive it again. That's a prudence call. In other words, it can be a gray area. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I was going in for a surgery, and it was for an illness that wasn't necessarily going to lead to death. But whenever you have surgery, there's always a risk there. Mm-hmm. So a priest came and gave me anointing of the sick. So, um, but let's say later in life, you know, after I develop another illness. Right. Can right. It again? Yeah. 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 And so generally, um, for purely cosmetic surgery, I don't think you would get it. But if you're getting surgery for some, you know medical reason, then it's good to receive it before rather than after. Yes, you don't need it before your you come out. That's right. <laughs> is there any natural analogy to holy orders and marriage? Ah, so I'm getting to that. So let's look at those. So if we were only had an individual life, we'll come back and we'll look at anointing of the sick and have a special, but the thing with the so what anointing of the sick is doing is helping, so when we get seriously ill, our bodies are weak, but it's the most important time actually for our souls because that's when we're um, approximately, right? We're, um, and so there's a kind of paradox in the Christian life that when we're physically weak, we can be made spiritually strong. And especially that we've got something to offer our suffering that can benefit the whole church. And so the sacrament of holy orders helps us also, it has another purpose. It's not simply kind of preparation for death, but we could say the sanctification of illness. Okay, if we were only individuals, those five would be enough. But we're social beings, and nobody. Um, so I can't live well in society if there's no society and no governance, right? So imagine there was no federal, no government in America. Um, everyone's life would be utterly miserable, right? No police, no law enforcement, no fire services, no nothing. And um, we're all out there for, on our own. Right? Life would be utterly miserable. And so it's we could say a need of human nature, just as much as those five that we've already mentioned, that we um, have governance and that there be some way of propagating the human race by marriage. So marriage is kind of an exception here because marriage is necessary in both orders. So marriage is necessary to propagate the human race on the natural level, and it's also what tends to propagate the church. So that's an odd case in which it's actually the same thing in the natural. So Jesus has taken something that already existed from the beginning, marriage, right? So marriage was made in Genesis 2 when Adam and Eve were created and not good for Adam to be alone, right? And um, the two shall become one flesh. Um, and what Jesus did is he elevated marriage to be a sacrament, meaning um, now if the baptized are married, it gives them grace, and is, is a sign that gives grace. Governance, though, is holy orders. So holy orders, is it's analogous to the fact that in any society, you need a president, you need um, senators and representatives um, so that um, there can be governance, that the society be maintained one. And so in the church, likewise, there needs to be governance, but um, Jesus didn't want that governance to be merely left to us. He could have, right? In other words, he could have just instituted six sacraments and not made a seventh. And in fact, that's what Protestants believe, right? All Protestants reject the sacrament of holy orders and don't think that Jesus instituted any sacrament for governance. But what we see when we read the gospels is Jesus, of all the disciples, what did he do? He picked how many? 12 to be apostles. And he gave them authority, right? Authority, that's sacramental. In other words, precisely to anoint the sick and cure them, to chase out demons, and then later to baptize, to, um, to confirm, and to um, give the Eucharist, celebrate the Eucharist. Right? And so Jesus instituted governance for his church from above and not merely from below. In other words, Jesus didn't institute a church in which he left it to us. Let's elect our ministers and give them some, I don't know, Power to act on our behalf, as if it came from us. Because what Holy orders is, is being able to act in the person of Jesus, right? So what the priest does in the Mass is he says words that are proper to Jesus. This is my body. He uses Jesus' own pronoun, the my of Jesus. This is my body. This is my blood. And in the confessional, he says with his eye, I absolve you. All right, who's doing the absolving? Jesus through him, right? And so the priest receives a sacrament that enables him to act in the person of the head of the church, who is Jesus. And we could also say the bridegroom of the church. We're, so this is harder for men, but the, all the members of the church who are baptized are, by baptism, were brought into the bride. Women have an easier time in understanding what it means, the beauty, the dignity of being a member of the church means being a member of the bride of God-made man. He's the bridegroom. And um, holy water is the sacrament by which some, and here's why it's fitting that they be men. Some are chosen to act in the person of the bridegroom, to be able to do acts proper to the bridegroom, and that is feed his bride with his body and blood. And so the church needs the sacrament of holy orders, but the church doesn't need everybody to have it, just as we don't need everybody to be a president. And in fact, it couldn't possibly be, right? It wouldn't work. If we're all president, then it's like you have no president. All right, so that's why there's one bishop in a city, Archbishop Rosansky. All right, and this is also why Jesus instituted a male priesthood, right? People get all upset about this, right, if it's possible. But um, the way to understand it, it's a symbolism. It's the reason why the priest has to say male is simply to represent Jesus, the bridegroom, who's feeding his his bride by means of someone who's ordained to act in his person and to govern the church acting again in his person as the head of his church. So that's the reason for holy orders. In other words, Jesus didn't want it simply to be um, a political kind of thing in which, um, yes, there is church politics, right? If you read about, um, so this is, and this has always been true, and in fact, it, um, more prominent in other times, if the Renaissance, right? If you, if you read something about Renaissance popes and you find out um, it's all about power struggles between these families, and, um, and yes, that happened, but Jesus ensued a sacrament so that even though we might treat it as mere politics, it's coming from him from above, okay? All right, so that's, that's why seven sacraments. All right, sacramental grace is each sacrament gives a common effect, grace, but each sacrament gives particular graces according to the purpose of that sacrament. And they all have a different purpose, and we just went through the seven purposes. So let's, so baptism gives the grace, entering the church, but a grace to be a member of the church. And that means, above all, to believe. So the grace of baptism is to believe what the church teaches and not, you know, my own thing. To hope in Jesus and to love. So baptism is the foundation. Confirmation gives more graces, right? We said the graces to grow to holiness. How many graces is that going to be? Uncountable. In other words, Confirmation is gonna be, so there's a, in in the fourth chapter of John's gospel, he has a dialogue with a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus comes to the well and um, he asks her for a drink of water. And she's really startled, first of all, because um, Jews don't ever ask Samaritans for anything. And then a man asking, a woman I guess would have been usual at that time, but but in any case, um, and then Jesus flips around and says, if you know who I was, if you know who I am, You would be asking me for a drink and water, and I can give you water that will well up to eternal life. So confirmation is basically receiving um, graces, not just at the time you're confirmed, the Easter vigil, but all throughout your life to grow to holiness. And yes, I can block them because not every Christian becomes a saint. I can block it by not caring. I can block it by living A contrary way. But if I desire it, then it will continue to produce graces every day. All right? Eucharist, what grace is that going to give? The Eucharist is above all the grace of union. Who do we receive when we receive the, the Eucharist? Jesus. So the Eucharist gives us graces to be united with him and to everyone who's united with him. That's our brothers and sisters. So the Eucharist feeds us with charity. And the Eucharist is the best remedy for discord in the family, for discord in our friends, for discord in our country, etc. It doesn't cure it magically, though, right? In other words, it gives it, feeds us day by day, all right. Penance is a remedy for sin, and therefore, if I confess my sins, let's say I go to confession, I say confess something that I frequently fall in. The grace of confession is going to be an aid to strengthen me against that sin, right? Anointing the sick is going to give an aid to offer my suffering, not simply to, you know, undergo it, but to um, abandon myself in some way to God's plan and to offer it for other people, for the people that I love in the whole church. Um, holy orders is going to strengthen the person who receives it to be a good minister, right? To, to distribute, to help um, to distribute the sacraments in such a way as to lead to holiness among the Christian faithful, right, and to govern his church wide. So tons of graces that a priest is gonna need day in. So I teach seminarians. So it's really helpful for them because they can easily think this is too daunting. I can't do it. And the answer is yes, you're absolutely right. You cannot do it. Um, your strength is not enough, but I'm giving you strength. And the same thing is true of marriage, right? Wow, it's wedding yesterday, and it gets so beautiful. But what are they promising? The spouses, right, to be faithful every day of their lives for the whole of their lives till death do us part. How do I get the strength for that? Not from me, but from the sacrament, all right? So that's sacramental grace, right? Beautiful thing. But the more I believe it and desire it, the more I'll receive, all right? So we'll leave it there. Sorry, I went over. And next time, we'll... Um, um, we'll start with baptism, and I, maybe I'll say a little about the liturgy. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We give you thanks, Almighty oh God, for the gift of your sacraments through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.